welcome back again to The Lore You Know, a show where we chat with some amazing human beings who are storytellers, collectors, folklorists, um, as we discuss the history of, inspiration behind, and importance of recording and sharing regional tales. I am so excited to be back, and I am officially joined by author, um, extraordinaire, Aaron Deese from Hey Strangeness, and also from Small Town Monsters. Aaron, hi! Hello! How are you, Heather? I am doing really well. I'm super excited to be back, and I'm super excited that you get to be the first one here. Dude, me too. Me too. When I started doing this podcasting, recording, writing stuff a couple years ago, yeah. I had a list yeah. of shows that I was like, once I get to appear on these shows, I know I've made it. And this was one of them. So, Aww, good day. That's really sweet. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so... It's been it's been a little while, but this is going to be something that I think uh, it, it's going to be back. <laughs> well, I know it's going to be back. Yeah. But we're in for some really awesome shows. And I wanted to have you on first because you are playing a pivotal part in this resurgence of the lore, you know. No, are I'm you here. ready for that responsibility? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, no more than I've ever been for anything else. But somehow, usually I, I get by. So this is going to be great. No, I'm I'm so excited. It's an honor and a privilege. So I'm very, yeah, very I'm so, uh, I'm, ready to go. Yes. So Aaron is the showrunner for The Lore You Know. Um, so yay. Thank you yay. for that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. There's plenty of people out there that would leap at this opportunity. So much, much applause to you. Uh, for those who somehow haven't been following and are unaware of your connection to the world of weird, can you give a quick rundown of, of who you are and what brought you here ultimately? How did you get here, Aaron? Yeah. So uh, about two years ago, I started a podcast called Hey Strangeness with my wife, Sarah, uh, which is still ongoing, but is seldom updated. So we'll figure that out eventually. Um, and that's really started as just like an Instagram account where I would share weird books and stuff. Um, and I'd been a small town monsters fan for a while before that. So I started creepily and obsessively following everybody on social media and <laughs> kind of like stealthily infiltrating my way in through the back door thinking, oh, maybe maybe some of these folks will comment on one of my book pictures one day. That would be cool. Um, and then I, I met you guys at Cryptid Bash 1, which is yes. two years ago now. Goodness, because tomorrow is Cryptid Bash 3 Ooh, mm -hmm. at, at time of recording. Um, and then I got the chance to work with STM Publishing on my first book, which was a lifelong goal for me to have something published. And then, uh, you know, recently, oh, and then, of course, we did the film, The Dogman Triangle, Werewolves in the Lone Star State with Shannon mm -hmm. Uh Directed by Seth Breedlove, edited by Eli Watson, music by Brandon Allo, uh, poster <laughs> by God. And, <laughs> yes. um, and then a, a couple, just a few weeks ago here, actually, Seth was like, hey, do you want a job? And I said, yes, sir, I do, please. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and now here we are. So I get to say that I'm Aaron from Small Town Monsters, which is a super fun phrase to throw out there. I'm loving it. That's, yeah. that's the summary, and I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> you've been killing it on social media as well. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's 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 definitely the best job I've ever had. I like that I get to be myself. I get to be creative. Uh, I get to work with really cool people that I have an established relationship with. Like, you know, it's a dream job for me, and put it simply. So 
having a great time, man. Yay. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you. Um, so <clears throat> before you found out about small town monsters and before you started the Hey Strangeness podcast, like what got you into this, this world in general? Was this something that you've been interested in since you were a little kid? Um, yeah, something it was that came later in life. Yeah, it was actually this book, which, um, oh, which we I, should say that if people are squad members, they can actually see what you're holding up. Yeah, because that is the video version. Yeah, so I was gonna say, I think some folks listening to the audio, you may not be able to see this on the audio version, but this is a copy of the Mothman Prophecies, which was <laughs> released right around the time the film came out. Um, and it was the first book I ever purchased with my own money. I was a kid and my mom always had books in the house. My mom's a writer. So always surrounded by books, but this was the first one I actually spent my own money on. And it, it, it honestly changed the way I look at reality. Um, because I was like, wow, if, if there are things that are this strange out there that we can't conclusively say, this is what happened. This is what this is, you know? then there's work to be done. Like the world is so much bigger, so much more vast than we have any concept of. And that idea really stuck with me. Um, and I, I took a step away from several steps away from the paranormal and cryptozoology and stuff, you know, throughout high school and throughout college, it was always something I was interested in, but not something I did actively. Um, and then a few years ago, I was kind of stuck in my career. We had had a, a couple deaths in the family and I was like, I need something. I need a place to put my brain that's going to, you know, allow me to stay in touch with reality, but also help me to just sort of manage all this nonsense that's going on in my head. And that became cryptozoology. So I rewatched and reread the Mothman prophecies and probably the same day that I had rewatched the movie, I'm on Amazon Prime and it goes, you may also like this. And it's the Mothman of Point Pleasant from STM. Oh, nice. um, and then, you know, the Bray Road Beast and then Momo and uh, uh, the Flatwoods mm -hmm. documentary, which I can't remember the name of right now for some reason. And it, <laughs> it just like, it, it kind of woke me up. I was like, wow, there are people doing this stuff who are doing it sincerely. They're doing it honestly. It's not a bunch of you know, sensationalized nonsense, like you see in some of the mainstream uh, mm -hmm. outlets, we'll, we'll put it there. And uh, I just kind of, you know, was hooked. And I remember when the Mothman Legacy came out, because I've been waiting for the release and waiting for the release. And I watched that one. And then I was like, okay, yeah, this is the kind of stuff I want to do. Um, so really, you know, STM played a very, very large role in kind of rejuvenating me, helping me navigate a really difficult time in my life. And, and, uh, sort of rekindling my interest and my passion for this stuff. So that, does that answer the question? I kind of rambled for a second. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I, I love that you brought up the Mothman of Point Pleasant being kind of your first introduction to SCM because uh, that is the film where I finally reached out to Seth for the first time after that one. I'm like, you know what? I like what you're doing, sir. Um, just because of the history aspect that he added to it. Yeah. 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 And that, it, so, we could talk at length about how great that movie is, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a classic. <clears throat> so if you were introduced to the world of weird through um, Mothman prophecies, is Mothman your favorite cryptid tread carefully? I know that's, that's a difficult <laughs> question, bro. Like, <laughs> 
it, it, I will always hold a candle for the Mothman, always. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realize I'm not unique in that, but it, it's impossible for me to separate my interest and now my like burgeoning career from that case and from that entity. Um, right. Recently, though, you know, Dogman has kind of become the focus of a lot of my research and a lot of my studies. Um, and it's not just because of the book and the movie, um, you know, the work we did on the Dogman Triangle. It's also just, it's, it's fascinating and it's overwhelming. Um, and even since the book came out, I, I've continued to get reports and hear from witnesses. And like, when I started looking at the werewolf Dogman stuff, I was like, this is nonsense. I'm, I'm more inclined to believe in the Mothman than I am in this because werewolves aren't real. That's from movies. Um, <laughs> that turns out they aren't just from movies. They've been around since before movies were a thing. So right now it, it's probably Dogman with with that eternal like, but Mothman was my first love, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So since having the book out, you said people have reached out to you since the book and the movie, presumably. Mm-hmm. Um, are there thoughts on how to add that to the book later, like a revision or yeah. a draft or. Yeah. I've had a couple conversations with my editor. Yeah. Yeah. Cameras, you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I am. Um, maybe doing a revised edition at some point in the future. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe a sequel. I've actually, I already pitched a title to Seth one night when I couldn't sleep and I was like, I got an idea for a title for the sequel. You know, so. <laughs> That is so much, so many ways that STM works is when we can't sleep or we're up way too early and we're like, oh, ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's again, that's what's so great about having the opportunity to work with a team like this is that you can you can do that stuff. You know, in an office nine to five, nobody wants to hear from you after business hours. I certainly didn't want to hear from my coworkers about work after business hours. But right. this is different, you know, because it's something that we're passionate about and that we enjoy. Um but to actually answer your question, I hope so. I, I do think there's room for that. I think there's potential for that. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm gonna, you know, we'll give it some time, see what manifests, and kind of just go from there. I've already gotten one really compelling report uh, from a lady in San Antonio, which is where I live right now, and um, it is it is beat for beat, you know, an atypical dogman sighting in terms of like witness response, the entity's behavior, its appearance, all that stuff. And when I was contacted. Uh, by this lady's daughter. She's in her seventies, I believe. So her daughter reached out to me. He's like, Hey, my mom saw your film. She really enjoyed it. It's not my film. It's our film, but, um, you know, and she has a story that is really consistent with what you guys looked at in that movie. And she's never shared this with anybody outside of the family. Um, and everybody in the family was like, Oh yeah, mom, whatever. You know, you just saw something weird and da 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 da. Um, when they watched the the film together, she was like, that's what I saw. That's what I saw. And then even her kids were like, oh, wow. Okay. Maybe, yeah, maybe there is some more to this. (laughs) You know, I forgot the original question. I'm sorry. No, when (laughs) it's fine. When did she have her sighting? Uh, the fifties, 19. Oh, whoa. Yeah. 54, 55, somewhere in there. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'm glad that uh, the film was able to finally vindicate her to her family. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think I really believe strongly that there's value in the work we do beyond just producing content, producing entertainment. You know, it it 
tells people that have had these experiences, look, you're not alone. You're not the only one. And even if you did imagine something, even if you did hallucinate it, you're not the only person imagining this. So, mm. you know, that, that alone makes it all worth it. If one person feels like, wow, I'm not crazy <laughs> <laughs> to me, that that's, that's work worth doing. So, yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, so one thing that I've always enjoyed about just getting to know you in general has been watching you grow in this community. Aww. So from my perspective, seeing you online, knowing you as Hey Strangeness, for the longest time it was Hey Strangeness before we even got to Aaron, okay? <laughs> talk to people. <clears throat> but you showed up at uh, Cryptid Bash and you were just so excited, genuinely thrilled to be there. Uh, and you had driven from Texas, which would have been like, what, 20 some hour drive. Yeah. It was exactly 24 hours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So horrible is really <laughs> long drive. And you show up and you and Sarah are both so excited, so happy, just so amazing to see you just glow when you walk in. Um, and I, I got to meet you before you came to the STM table. It gave you a big hug and I'm like, have you, have you, do you see Seth? Do you want to meet Seth? And you're like, I don't think I'm ready to meet Seth. And I'm like, that's it. <laughs> Seth's a dork. Get over here. Come here, Seth. <laughs> um, and uh, that had made, that had made Cryptid Bash for me. The first Cryptid Bash that made my day was meeting you oh. and seeing you just light up with everything. And then I got to experience that again, whenever we went filming, because you got to meet Ken Gearhart and Nick Redfern. Um, and Shannon LeGrow. <laughs> Lyle Blackburn. And, yeah, and Lyle Blackburn. And it's been amazing. That's one thing. And I think that people got to see that as well at um, at Monster Fest. Your genuine excitement when you have this book and people are asking, can you sign my book? You're like, yes. Yes, I can. <laughs> I, will, I will sign that book. Um, and I think anybody who's really been paying attention, it's been something to... To just watch you, watch you grow and watch with genuine excitement that it's infectious. And I appreciate that very Thank much. You. Thank you. That yeah. was, that was the culmination of, you know, not just being in this community and, and researching the paranormal. That was a, a lifelong thing for me. Like I want, one day I want my, my name on the cover of a book. Uh, I'd like the cover to be cool looking, which it is. Jonathan Dodd blew it out of the park. Uh, yeah with that, with that cover. And I want to sign things. I want to, I want to sign books that I wrote just, just for fun, just to say that I did it. And I honestly, like, I was like, I'm going to keep track of all the the books I get to sign and the people I get to talk to, you know, so I can just say, I did this many, I lost track. I think after 12 or 13, I was like, I, there's too much going on. I'm too excited. But you know, the book sold out at the event, which I absolutely didn't expect you know new author first time being published nobody knows who the heck i am why would why would this many people want to buy it but that many people did did buy it and i just like i don't know man like <laughs> even now i'll think back on that and I'm like did that really happen was that a real thing like i'd go to the stm table sign a couple books wander around the convention hall, go up to Lyle Blackburn's table and be like, Hey man, how's it going? What's up? What's happening over here? Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> go back to the SDM table, stand there a little longer. Like it's a blur. It's, it's a beautiful, mm -hmm. glorious blur. Yeah. Yeah. Of the people that you, <clears throat> so you've met like Lyle, we mentioned and, and Ken and Nick and 
I got to see you excited about that. Who have you not met yet? Ooh. See, that's a tough question, which I never thought I would say, because I had such a long list of people <laughs> that I was like, I want to meet this person. I want to meet this person. Uh, even like, you know, members of the STM crew who worked on earlier projects were there, you know, that mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't think I was ever going to get a chance to meet these people. And I did. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. At this point though, I'm trying to think. Oh, here's a great answer. I am a big fan of the podcast, This Paranormal Life, uh, mm -hmm. which is a comedy paranormal podcast uh, produced by Rory Powers and Kit Greer. And I just love the way they handle this stuff. You know, they, they don't take it too seriously. Their research is spot on. The show is hilarious. In fact, when I'm at home during the day with my son, um, so I'm a, I'm a stay at home parent. <laughs> <laughs> potentially brushes dust off my shoulder. Um, I'll re-listen to that show just to kind of keep my brain occupied when I'm, you know, watching children's educational videos on YouTube with him. Um, yeah. I would love the chance to sit down and talk with them or just hang out with them for like 15 minutes. When I was working, this actually isn't my first job in the paranormal niche. I was a, an editor-in-chief for Paranormality Magazine for about a year. Um, mm -hmm. Well, no, wasn't editor-in-chief for a year. That doesn't matter. I tried to secure interviews with them, but yeah. you know they're in the UK and time zones are different. And they're also very, very busy guys. So I was never able to nail that down. So one day I will have a conversation with Kit and Rory. Um, don't know when, don't know how, but you know I met all of you guys, so I can do right. anything. <laughs> That's right. It'll happen. When you mentioned watching educational YouTube videos, is there a a song as a parent that's just now stuck in your head because Ezra has to play it over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Really anything by Miss Rachel. Um, and folks, okay. if you want a good business model, that's going to make you a lot of money where you don't, you can make something and put it out there, make, make videos for babies, because if you can produce one video that will keep a baby's attention for 20 minutes, parents are going to put that on repeat. Um, but there's one of, one of the Miss Rachel songs is, you know, about getting dressed and put your pants on, baby, put your pants on, pants on, pants on. And that plays in my head all day because we're at the, the diaper fighting phase. He hates having his diaper changed, hates it. I think he would bite me if he had enough teeth when we try to change <laughs> uh, But that song's actually pretty effective in calming him down for five seconds. So definitely the baby put your pants on song. And I know that's what everyone came to this interview to hear. Listen, so. <laughs> every parent completely understands this. <laughs> everyone with a baby right now is taking notes like, oh, goodness. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Miss Rachel got it. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's also, <laughs> a, um, there's some Spanish language videos in the same vein. And it's, it's very important to us that he speaks some Spanish, you know, it's a part mm -hmm. of. Um, his cultural background on my wife's side, and it's just a practical skill to have. So there's a lot yeah. of Spanish language songs that will play for him that I don't understand what they're saying, but I hope that he does. So those also. <laughs> Do you have any uh, children themed cryptid items like books that you've been reading to Ezra or ones that you've yeah. been to? Yeah, there's one called uh, One Two Rougarou that my good friend Heather yeah. Mosher gave me uh, or gave Ezra when he was born. Um, there's one about the Loch Ness Monster called I Believe in You, which it's so sweet and so sentimental. It makes me cry every time I read it. But it's about, you know, the world may not believe in you. Your friends may not believe in you, but but I do, you know, and it, it's tied into the theme of cryptids. And, you know, maybe people don't believe in these things, but that doesn't mean they're not real. Um, and I love that. I love that so much. And then there's another one called Don't Eat Me Chupacabra. Um, 
Wait, yeah. which is actually do i have it here oh yeah i have it right here oh yeah drop some stuff that's okay uh uh don't eat me chupacabra no me comas chupacabra and it's in Aww. english and spanish and it's just about chupacabra trying to find something to eat but all he wants is goats so his friend <laughs> who is a goat <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> takes him all around the town trying to find something that he'll eat and at the end they realize that if they make goats out of uh plantains that he will eat them and be happy and then I uh i think his favorite right now is bigfoot baby which is uh, is that a, a hazy dell it is yeah. yeah so is uh don't eat me chupacabra so yeah. hazy dell press man they make really great awesome cryptid books and even if you don't have kids if you're just a book nerd that's into cryptozoology like these illustrations are so cool and so much fun like you know, we oh, started, it's a lift the flap too. Yeah, right? it's got flaps and and he loves it. He doesn't know what the heck's going on when I read it to him, but he loves the colors. So yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Hazy Dell Press for entertaining my son. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. So does it seem that I know that he's still very little yet, but are mm -hmm. there any cryptids as far as the stuffed animals that you may have or the onesies that you have that seem to have caught Ezra's attention? Is it yeah. a werewolf? So his his favorite onesie, whether he knows it or not, is a red <laughs> is a red uh, Texas Dogman Triangle onesie that Jonathan Dodd uh, sent us when he was born. And it's I don't have it here with me, but it's a um, a very goofy, cartoony version of like a Dogman face, and then it's got a triangle mm -hmm. around it. Um, as far as I'm aware, it's the only one in existence. So, and he wore that to uh, my book signing for the Texas Dogman Triangle a couple weeks ago at the Twig Bookshop. So that's his favorite, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's awesome. How did the book signing go? It went great. It went great. I'll admit it was a small turnout, and I kind of wanted it to be that way. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't advertise it on social media the way I could have. I didn't reach out to people individually and like, hey, you know, it'd be great if you came to this. And I feel I kind of feel like I should have because several of the contributors and interviewees from the book do live in San Antonio. Um, mm -hmm. But because it was the first time I'd done something like this, I wanted to try it out and see how it was going to go, get a feel for the rhythm. But it went it went really well. It was a lot of fun. I got to read uh, two chapters, and then there were some people there that asked some really, really good questions about the phenomena and about the history and, you know, what all of this stuff means. And the person at the bookstore, the event coordinator that I've been working with, until I sat down and read the back flap of the book, she thought this was a work of fiction, you know, oh. which... Some people still may. That's fine. You know, you're entitled to your opinion. But she was like, wait, wait, this is a nonfiction book? I was like, yeah, yeah, this stuff's real. And she goes, <laughs> okay, I got to hear this. And she came out from behind the counter. This was a small book. <laughs> the counter was yeah. right there. She came out from behind the counter and sat down and she like crossed her knees and just went like this and stared at me. And she was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, this, this bookstore doesn't have a paranormal unsolved section from what I could tell. I went there a couple times just to look around. Um, so I, I'm hoping that it kind of rejuvenated their interest in that. Like maybe they'll realize, Oh, Hey, we should, we should stock more books about monsters. We'll see. We'll see. But sorry yeah, to answer your question. It, it went really well. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Good. Hopefully you did kickstart a whole new section for them because <clears throat> that's, I mean, personally, obviously that is the section that I go to first when I go into a bookstore. Yes. Yes. Paranormal Unsolved, clearance and markdowns. And then I just do laps <laughs> until I've spent 
much money. Yes. So I think you kind of touched upon this a little bit dealing with the book signing where you said that you didn't promote it as much as you probably could have. And I think I know because we've talked about this, that we both are anxiety sufferers. Yes. Um, we both. Uh, yeah. Have yes, you I noticed any anything with this community that has helped you deal with anxiety as you go through the motions, as you're as you're getting into the research and the writing and the just how are you how is the community in general helping you with your anxiety? That's a great question. And I'm really, really glad you asked that. Um, and I think that's something well, I know that's something you know, after having a lot of conversations with mutual friends of ours and other people that I know in the community, that's something that a lot of people deal with. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, as a, as a quote, creative person, I get overwhelmed. Like if I have more than one thing I have to do, there's a tornado up here in my head and I can't focus on anything. So I'll, what really works for me and what I'm trying to kind of develop into more of a habit is pick one thing. Pick one thing that you know you can achieve today, even if it's just sending Heather a message to try to figure out when we're going to schedule an interview, you know, <laughs> right, right. doing that one thing tends to calm the storm a little bit and helps me, you know, focus like, okay, I accomplished this. What can I do next? And even if, even if there is no next that day, doing that one thing helps me to settle down and to, to sort of rejuvenate. That doesn't always work. Um, so sometimes I'll go back and, you know, maybe it's because I'm a narcissist, but sometimes I'll go back and look at other things I've finished, like an older episode of my podcast or, you know, some notes from the book I'm working on right now, or even just flipping through the book I've already finished. And then for some reason that kind of seems to put in my head like, oh, okay, wait, you are a person that can function. You are a person that can get things done. Um, mm -hmm. So those are, those are some techniques I've kind of developed, but you know, it's, it's a struggle. It's not easy when you're somebody that deals with anxiety that can and will interfere with every aspect of your life. So mm -hmm. more than anything, I think it's important to just remember that that's okay. It is all right. You know, if you don't finish anything today, that's okay. You want to, and that's what matters. Um, right. At least that's what works for me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's because just uh, like attracts like, but it seems to me that this is something that in our community, a lot of people suffer with anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. not just a couple of us, a lot of us <laughs> are yeah. Yeah. functioning day to day with high levels of anxiety. Um, and I've often wondered if that doesn't help us as much as it's a pain, if it doesn't help us when it comes to talking to witnesses or experiencers, mm -hmm. Uh, because we can understand the the fear on a certain level of maybe coming forward or sharing your experience. Have you ever tapped into your own personal, I guess, I don't want to say demons, but your own personal struggles, so to speak, when speaking with a witness or an experiencer? Yeah. Yeah. And we can call them demons. There's some days where I think that's very applicable, but <laughs> yeah, like I've, I've spoken with some people, um, especially when I was doing interviews for, um, strange conversations, which is kind of a spinoff interview show of, Hey, strangeness, you know, where I'd be sending the messages and maybe trying to coordinate times. And they'd be like, look, just so you know, I'm really nervous. Like I've never done anything like this before. Um, and I'd respond and say, Hey, I'm nervous too. And every single time folks, anybody listening, 
every single time I sit down to do an interview, whether it's my show, somebody else's show, um, I'm nervous and I'm anxious. I did 45 individual interviews for Strange Conversations, a couple dozen for the magazine that I was working with at the time, you know, and that's not counting interviews I did for uh, the Texas Dogman Triangle because all of those things were happening at the same time. I don't, I don't, that whole year is a, a wash in my mind. I don't know how that happened. Um, every <laughs> single time I get, I get nervous and I get anxious. And usually once the recording starts and I'm actually having that conversation or this conversation, that's when things tend to bubble out and calm down for me. Um, mm-hmm. But I would share that. Be like, look, I'm nervous too, man. Like, yeah, this is a hobby and it's kind of my job and I do it pretty regularly, but I'm nervous too. So like, you and I are just going to have a conversation. We're just going to hang out. If you're not happy with something that you've said, let me know and I'll edit it out. Like, you know, mm-hmm. just sharing that and being open about that. I think if we try to, what's the best way to say that? You kind of, you still be yourself in interviews and when you're producing content, but you also kind of go into character. You adapt a way of speaking and, and you know, you, mm-hmm. you sink into a rhythm in a way that works for you. And I, I tell people that, like, I can do that because I practice this, but at the end of the day, I just want to have a conversation with you. This is not, you know, whatever James Corden show was, this is not uh, a sports after show where, you know, millions of people are going to be like, Oh, he scratched his nose. No, we're just hanging out. We're just having a conversation and approaching things that way. I've found to be very effective. Awesome. Speaking of ways that you approach things, when you have a topic that you want to look into, whether it's something for your book or for uh, strange conversations when you're getting ready to interview someone, how do you approach research? Mm-hmm. Um, what's your first thing when you, oh, this topic interests me, this person interests me. Step one, what does Aaron Deese do for research? Yes. I like to start with my book collection, which I affectionately mm-hmm. refer to as the strange library, um, which is two last time I counted, I think it was 257 individual books. Um, and it's grown since then because I have a, an addiction to thrift stores. Um, excuse me. So I like to start there because I think if you can cite something from a book, you know, it, it adds a little bit of weight. It adds a little bit of credibility. The, the internet is a great resource. There's a ton of great information out there, you know, from, uh, document repositories to articles online to other people's podcasts, but anybody can put anything on the internet. So I like to mix internet research with hardcover books, not hardcover necessarily, but hard copy books, and then just kind of go from there, sort of see what what happens. Um, I'm very fortunate in that this community is full of interesting and cool and awesome people. So if I can find someone who is knowledgeable or even just passionate about a topic. They don't even have to know a lot about it. And I can get their perspective and have them input a little bit. I always find that helpful. And I, I took that same approach with the Dogman Triangle. I tried to pull in, you know, podcasts and news articles, newspaper clippings, uh, interviews with experts and witnesses, as well as stuff I was able to pull from books already in my library and just combine as many resources as possible. I, I think when when we only use one resource or we read one article online and then we go, okay, yeah, that's what happened. I think there's a little bit of danger there because again, anybody can post anything on the internet. Um, that was a very, very roundabout way of saying, uh, I I like to take a bunch of stuff and throw it in a bag and see what falls out the other side. But yeah. I like it. And you mentioned that you were always around books growing up. 
<clears throat> because your mom was a was a reader and a writer. Mm -hmm. Um, what were some stories that she had told you when you were a kid that you enjoyed hearing? Oh, that's a fun one. No one's asked me that before. That's fun. Um, we would do, I was homeschooled my, myself and my three sisters. And I don't know how my mom did that in the pre-internet age. Like all of us are a year and a half apart. So, you know, very mom, patient, very <laughs> patient. like mom, if you ever hear this, like, you know, salute all honor. Um, but you know, we would have, <laughs> When we were really little, we would have read aloud time and she would read us uh, Little House on the Prairie, uh, The Boxcar mm -hmm. Children, uh, other works of like, you know, historical fiction and, and stuff like that. And in my mind, you know, when I'm reading, even today, I sometimes I'll still hear my mom's voice and my mom's cadence, you know, because it just like that was where I fell in love with literature. That was when I realized I want to be a writer. I want to tell stories like you know, because of that, because of that influence. Um, and then my great, 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 I don't know how many greats, uh, uncle was a man named Homer Croy. And he was a pretty prolific writer in the early 19th century. Um, I'm holding up a copy of Jesse James was my neighbor, <clears throat> which is not a work of fiction. Jesse James, the notorious outlaw was his neighbor. Uh, That's so cool. Uh, yeah. And my mom had several of his books on the shelf when I was little. She still does. And if you look them up today, dude, I think that collection of books is worth, I added it up once. It's several thousand dollars. Like they're, they're very old. They're not in print anymore. And this is actually a signed copy signed by the author that was sent to me by my buddy, Rachel. Um, thank you, Rachel. So, you know, her reading us those stories and then also just being surrounded by these old, old books, a couple of which are over a hundred years old at the time they were printed, you know, just, yeah. just like, I don't know. I don't know exactly, but it, it did something in my brain when I was very little. And even when I was pursuing a career in property management, I worked as a restaurant manager for a while. I did, you know, roofing and stuff when I was younger, um, you know, day labor jobs when I was a teenager, but when I was too young for anybody to hire me in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, but one day I'm going to be a writer. One day I'm going to tell stories. So that, sorry, I get sentimental about it, but. <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. This is part of the excitement of watching you grow. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah. The, it's, I can see, well, one, again, shout out to your mom for meeting it'll handle four children on homeschooling. That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And I was a terror. Um, like, if you've ever had five minutes of conversation with me, put that into a five-year-old and then remove any and all inhibitions or filters. And that's what my mom dealt with for 18 years. So, and still does, still does. <laughs> uh, um, were there stories mixed in all of that, that kind of looking back now, you said that Mothman Prophecies is what kind of got you or is what got you started into this. But looking back now, are there stories that were more on the spooky side that kind of were like just little seeds planted back when you were a kid that maybe just stuck with you over time and you didn't really think about it till now? Like, were you a Goosebumps kid? Did you do scary stories to tell in the dark? Were any of those things part of your world when you were younger oh that's another fun you always ask the best questions dude i knew this <laughs> was um so <laughs> so my family is not super into horror and spooky stuff um mm -hmm. as far as i'm aware i'm the only one that has a vested and ongoing you know active interest in the paranormal yeah. um 
if I'm wrong, that'd be great to know. But, um, you know, I do have a pretty religious background. We did attend church very regularly when I was younger. I, I also worked as like a youth mentor. And for a long time, I thought I was going to be a youth pastor. That's what I thought I was going to do. Um, awesome. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. I don't want to do that now, but um, yeah, because it's hard. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> teenagers are tough, man. Um, they are. I got my own kid now. I'll figure that out there. But, um, you know, we would sit down and have conversations about stories from the Bible that we heard in church or that we would look at as a court part of our studies at home. Um, and I would ask questions like, well, what what does this mean? Could this be this? You know, could this thing that's being described possibly be an alien or something like that? And my mom and my dad both were very and are very open minded, understanding people. And they would say, well, maybe. Why do you think that? You know what? what could this be or what, you know, what's so on and so forth. And there were never wrong answers, which is a right. big deal to me, you know? And I think a lot yeah. of people who grew up in religious backgrounds didn't have that benefit. There were a lot of wrong answers. Um, mm -hmm. And stepping outside of my family circle and looking at, you know, people I knew through the church or through other organizations, there were a lot of wrong answers. So coming from that as a part of my upbringing and then moving into you know, the creative side of the paranormal, that's something I've, I've kept with me really the whole time. There are no wrong answers because none of us know. Um, mm -hmm. At the end of the day, none of us know. There are people that think they do, and maybe they do, maybe, I don't know, but I'm a big believer in there are no wrong answers because we're all just trying to figure that out. So that that's definitely something that's had an influence on me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's an important thing to have. That's an important lesson to have learned, especially at a young age. I think again, so. shout out to your parents for that. Seriously. Lori, Lori and Rick, man, they're, they're, they're the best people. <laughs> the best people. So <clears throat> obviously some of that stuff you're going to model then as a father to Ezra, correct? Like you already have plans, I'm sure of how to go about some of this stuff when he starts asking. Yeah, I hope to, I hope I can do half as good a job as they did. Um, I want him to explore the world. I want him to form his own opinions, but I also want him to be grounded in reality. Um, mm -hmm. You know, look at things empirically and look at scientific evidence, but also don't let that take the wonder out of the equation for you. Like for me, one of the best things in the world is to look at something strange and go, I have no idea what's happening here. I don't know what this is. And I think yeah. for a lot of people in life, you know, that's, that's missing. We're missing that aspect. You know, we, we have, so much information, technology has advanced so far. Um, I think the wonder is missing in a lot of parts of life. So I'm, I'm very much hoping that I can effectively share that with him as he grows. Mm -hmm. I think that you're going to be able to do that. No problem. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so if you grew up <clears throat> in a religious household and you weren't really doing the, the scary horror things, so then you probably weren't exposed to like unsolved mysteries or X-Files or anything like that then as a child? You know, you know, I did watch unsolved mysteries. That was actually one of my mom's favorite shows. Um, and thinking back on it, that was my first exposure to cryptozoology because they did episodes on the chupacabra and cattle mutilation, UFOs and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and I would watch that with my parents like, mommy, what's going on? She's like, I don't know. Seems pretty weird. <laughs> you know, kind of it's past weird. your bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. And I also, um, I was an avid watcher of Nick at Night for the longest time. So I watched The Twilight Zone a lot, 
a lot. And that was about as much scary as I could handle. Like any episode yeah. where boys came, came to life, I had to turn the TV off. But, you know, again, yeah. that speculative fiction, that, that kind of lifting the veil of reality, even if it is in a fictitious setting, I think, I think it probably had a big effect on me. And then I was also, you know, I was a Star Wars, am a Star Wars kid. I was obsessed with Pokemon. I still am. Uh, I was playing it last night. I'm not even going to lie. So even just stuff like that, where pieces of folklore and fiction are borrowed from the real world and woven into those narratives, you know, as I've made those connections later in life, that's been really exciting too. So I think a lot of that, just the media that I was exposed to and the stuff that my parents provided and furnished for me, I think that played a big role as well. Have you ever considered using that kind of influence into creating some fiction of your own down the line? Yeah, I would love to do that. And when I, when I started writing, you know, junior high, I think I started goofing around at the computer and like, oh, it was all, all fiction, um, yeah. you know, and like any writer, I've got a million ideas and no time or energy to put them on paper, but um, right. I would love to do that at some point. Yeah. Cause there's some, there's some really good paranormal fiction out there. There's some really good stuff that is, you know, quote unquote made up, but it uses real world folklore and real world mythology. And anytime a writer can do that, uh, I love it. I love it. Great example is the Dresden files by Jim butcher. And I actually got to talk to Jim butcher when I was doing interviews for the magazine, super cool guy. Also a huge dog man fan, uh, nice. which is really, really cool. So yeah. Yeah. I hope so is the answer. That's awesome. Well, one thing, it's been a while since I've recorded any of these, but one thing that I do recall doing at the end of each show was asking my guests to tell me a story. So before I do that, I want to set the stage for you. Let's imagine that we are like sitting around a bunch of um, tents that we have, fortified tents in the, in the living room or something, you know, with blankets and we got blanket forts going on and it's dark and everybody's got a flashlight. It's just, it's us, the STM crew, you know, we're all just sitting around and we've got the flashlight. What story would you tell when the flashlight gets passed to you, Aaron? Yeah. So I, this is a, a completely different answer than the one I told you I thought I might go with because this one's actually, to me, this one's creepier. Um, but yeah. when I was about 14, uh, I lived next to a very undeveloped wooded area in central Florida. Um, and the forests in Florida are basically swamps. Uh, the ground is very, very wet. There's a lot of tropical plants. It's a tropical climate. I mean, it's Florida is, uh, uh, it's a peninsula, basically. You're at sea level pretty much the whole time. Uh, but there was this area very close to my house. I mean, a five minute walk. You would jump over the back fence, which I did, uh, and you would follow this drainage trench into the woods. And there was this area where it was very dark and very shaded, no matter how hot it was, no matter how bright the sun was. And this is the sunshine state. So, um, and it was full of these strange pine trees that I had never seen before which I learned later are Australian pines or they're sometimes called she oaks. Um, and if I remember correctly, you know, please botanists don't set me on fire for this if I'm wrong, but she oaks are an invasive species. Um, they're not native to Florida. I could be mistaken there, but what they do is the roots interlock under the ground and they choke out everything else. They did kill all the other plant life. And then, you know, the branches create this canopy. So no sunlight can get down there. So nothing else can really grow. Um, and there was this grove of Australian pines where if you 
pushed the pine needles to the side and dug down a little bit. And you had to dig, you know, you had to go down four or five inches. Um, the entire ground was burnt, scorched, you know, like pieces of natural coal and ash. Uh, you go a little bit further and we found four cornerstones. Like there had been a structure there. There was a plumbing pipe sticking out of the middle. So maybe uh, someone's house had been there at some time. Um, you go into what would have been the backyard for this structure. And there was a tree stump with a cat's skull sitting on it. Um, and I get chills when I think about it because I remember walking into that space and thinking some, something is not right here. Something about this place is not correct. I don't know what it is, but it is not correct. Um, and we would, we would goof around and like dig through the pine needles, try to find stuff, you know, teenagers in the woods. Then you follow the path a little bit further and there was a clearing with six or seven bathtubs kind of arranged in like a circle in the middle of the woods. Like you hear about staircases in the woods, try finding a bunch of bathtubs. Uh, and then there was a heavy cage that was cemented into the ground. Like you would put a large dog or a pig or something like that in, um, and I remember standing in that clear, we found a horse skull in that clearing. That was really weird. That was really weird. I know this is a lot of strange little things all mixed together. That's um, no, great. And Keep it going. sounds insane, but I'm, I'm not creative enough to think up, think this up, <laughs> you know? And I, I, every time we went to that place, it scared the heck out of us. Didn't matter who went there with me, whether I was alone, whether I was in a group, the energy there was so heavy and so potent that you know, after a couple of months, we all decided we're not going back to that place in the woods. And, you know, for a lot of my life and still now to this day, I wonder what, what was that building? What was that clearing? Who lived there? What were they doing? What the heck are these bathtubs for? And I've always thought like, oh, I'll find an answer one day. I'll stumble across something in a historical document, or I'll meet someone who lived in that neighborhood longer than I did. And who can tell me that never happened. I still have no idea what that building was, who was there, why did it burn down, presuming that it did burn down, um, why that strangeness was concentrated in this area with these trees that don't really belong in that place. Um, I never got an answer, and I suspect that I never will. And to me, not knowing is the scariest thing. You know, if you tell me that a crazy man lived here and he used to sacrifice pigs in the woods and then he burned his house down. Okay. That's something in reality that I can understand. But the feeling I got when I went into that place and it, and the, the strange feelings, the weird energy that was before we found any of this stuff. You know, we walked into this area and we're like, Oh, this kind of feels spooky here. Let's see what's going on. Oh, the ground is burnt. Oh, there was a building here. What? That's a cat skull. We got, you know, all of that came after. So right. You know, I realized that I had some feelings is not necessarily hardcore paranormal evidence. But for me, that experience, that place is it will always anchor strangeness in reality to me because I know those places exist. I've been there. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I'm sure if you talk to uh, people that actually go and investigate a lot, they would tell you that there is something to be said about that intuition, that feeling initially. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I, I haven't shared that story a lot because again, it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. It has no resolution. It doesn't connect to any existing phenomena that I'm aware of. You know, it, it makes me think more about horror movies that I'm still too scared to watch to this day than it does. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody asked yeah. me recently, are you going to watch the new exorcist movie? And I laughed. I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> you can't make me and I won't. Um, 
<laughs> and also like being being a someone that was brought up in a religious background i of course at the time was like this place is evil this is an evil place no one should go here you know and since then mm -hmm. the, the land has been leveled there's a housing development there so it's not i can't go back i can't even prove that this place existed but right i don't know man i don't know i think about that a lot especially since i started researching this stuff and and becoming a part of this community i think about that place and we nicknamed it the hollow a, a la sleepy hollow because it was just so spooky yeah. Nice. Well, <clears throat> I would like to take a crack at trying to figure that out for you, if <laughs> or with you, yeah! if you can give me a more like in-depth location later when we're done here, and yes. I can see I'll if I just can. Notes. I remember the yeah. street. I can pull it up on Google Maps in two seconds. Yes. Okay. Yay! Hopefully, and then we can have a follow-up uh, of these if we find anything. <laughs> to be continued. Yes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, <clears throat> can you? Tell our listeners or our viewers, our squad members, um, where they can find you and what you have coming up. Yeah. Uh, any place that Small Town Monsters is doing anything, keep an eye on that. Uh, currently, I'm producing reels for our Instagram, um, for the Small Town Monsters Instagram to kind of promote and talk about upcoming projects and stuff. I'm hosting the weekly live stream, which is taking place after launches of new content. I was able to sit down with Eli Watson after the latest episode of Mysteries and Monsters came out. I'll be speaking with Alex Petikov uh, this coming Sunday, which will be in the past by the time people hear this. But, you know, so the Small Town Monsters YouTube and Instagram. Um, you can find me on Instagram at hey underscore strangeness. Uh, and then I do have a website, heystrangeness.com. It is very rarely updated, uh, but it does exist. So <laughs> we have a TikTok, we have a Twitter slash X or whatever it's called these days, but I can't stand using those platforms. They overwhelm me and make me anxious. So um, pretty much Instagram. Instagram's the place to go for for more of whatever this is. <laughs> yep. Yep. I feel you on that one. A lot less stressful for sure, at least to me. Yeah. It's just too much, man. Nobody asked me this, but it's just too much. Like anytime I get on TikTok, it's like, you know, you scroll, stop, stop, stop. That's just me. That may be another anxiety tip. You know, if you're spending a lot of time on the internet, identify the platforms that are causing you anxiety and get the heck away from them. That might, that might be helpful for some people. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Probably. All right. Well, um, Everyone, thank you for tuning in and listening or watching. Um, you can get a hold of me on, um, well, email heather at smalltownmonsters.com if you have any suggestions or questions or anything. Um, and again, thanks for listening and thanks for coming, Aaron. You're muted. Sorry. <laughs> we'll have to tell the editor to take care of that in post. Um, no, thank you. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. So thank you. The Lore You Know is presented by the Small Town Monsters Broadcasting Network. You can find out more about this and other network shows, as well as Small Town Monsters films, books, our upcoming Kickstarter campaign, and much more at smalltownmonsters.com. If you enjoyed this show, consider giving it a like, rating, review, or sharing it with a friend. And be sure to tune in next time for another episode of The Lore You Know.